I don't know about you, but this is Pentecost. I, I sent Josh a, a message this morning, and I think I touched on what Sherilyn said, and it just said, Happy Pentecost. Um, as I said, hey, the, the slides are in your inbox um, for this morning. But it is a happy Pentecost. And we're going we're gonna to look at what Pentecost means. We're going to look at understanding how Luke writes. We're going to understand what he writes. We're going to understand what he's actually saying. And then we're going to have a look at the relevance of what does that mean for you and me here now today. So there's a lot that needs to be covered in the next 29 minutes. And I need you to strap yourself in and journey with me. But before we do, I just want to just, uh, just share one thing. Before service, some of you did, probably during service, some of you didn't see it, but Charlie came and stood over the front over here. Little Charlie, not big Charlie. Little Charlie. And, and he was just like mimicking, um, you know, Graham, Pastor Graham playing guitar. And then the next moment, Graham lifted his hand up and he, Charlie just lifted his hand straight up and he stood there. And I looked at it and I thought, on, on Pentecost, a day where we celebrate Pentecost, where we celebrate the awe and wonder that they had back then in Acts 2, that here is this little young man actually in awe and wonder and faithful towards God. And it just inspired me to say, hey, this is, this is the disposition we're all called to have, is that same faithfulness, that same childlike faith. So as we approach what I'm going to share this morning, can you please kind of just have that same childlike approach, that awe and wonder of what God was doing then. Quite often when we look at Scripture, we look at it through the lens of where we are now. We look at it through the lens of 66 books of the Bible. We look at it, the, the New Testament through the lens of the last 2,000 years and oodles and oodles of scholars and what they've all written. But back then, it was fresh. It was, as Sherilyn shared, it was a scared moment. It was a nervous moment. It was an un a moment of unknowing and yet a moment of hope and belief. So when we encounter the book of Acts today, when we encounter Acts 2, that we would have that same childlike faith that Charlie has, but at the same time, for a moment, just alt control delete for the older people, that's what you press you know, on a Windows computer. You never have to do it on a Mac. Macs don't break. But on a Windows computer to actually reset it. Just Alt-Control-Delete for a moment and be faithful, be faith-like, be child-like, and approach it without all the filters you and I have right now. We prayed. Oh, we sang, sorry, and it's my prayer today. We need a fresh wind, a holy anointing, the power of your presence. Pour your spirit out. I don't know about you, me. Like I was watching uh, Christine worship on stage, and the desire in her heart after years and years and years of being a faith-filled woman of God you still see that same desire that says, pour your spirit out. God, I get it. I've got it. I use it. I, I work with it. I work with you, but pour it out. And unless we have that disposition of everything that I shared, then I might as well just put this down and we just give Graham the microphone and say, sing. Let's just sing. Because that's the way we come to the word this morning. Not like I've got one of those, I don't need it. But I need it afresh. I need a fresh revelation. I need a fresh anointing. When I got saved, I actually struggled with some of these thoughts around, well, if I'm in, 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 we're not going to go there today, uh, indwelt, infilled, two different words. Um, but if, I, if I'm indwelt and infilled, then I don't need any more. 
And the more I've been saved, the more I realize the more I need the Spirit of God in my life. The more I need Him to refresh me. The more I need a touch of God every single day. Every, sometimes multiple times a day because there's people out there that just drag everything out of you. And it's like, hey God, I need more of you. I need more of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me. And so our cry is pour your spirit out. Is that your cry today? Is that your prayer today that God would pour his spirit out afresh in your life day after day after day? Oh, well. (laughs) I must suck at preaching. Is that your or my desire that he would pour his spirit out? Pour your spirit out, Lord. So um, the title for the message today is The Necessary Unnecessary Miracle. And just humor me for a while. We'll get there at at about uh, 5 past and then we'll land it straight after that. But The Necessary Unnecessary Miracle. And um, I love this guy. Um, John Donne, Dean of St. Paul's, 1622. Um, This guy was kind of weird, writes some pretty crazy stuff. I wouldn't go necessarily searching all the stuff he wrote. But at some point he meets Jesus, Uh, he's a Catholic, and then he gets disillusioned with the church, meets Jesus, becomes an Anglican, and actually writes some pretty cool stuff. But in his verbal reenactment of Acts 1 verse 8, and you will receive power and be my witnesses, he reminds the Virginia company of the importance of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth and refers to the 22 sermons of the apostles in the book of Acts. Yes, in the book of Acts, there's 22 sermons. If you want to go count them and read them, and each one of them are pretty key and pretty important. But referring to the 22 sermons, he actually said this, And yet the book is not called the preaching, but the practice, not the words of the apostles, but the acts of the apostles. And the acts of the apostles were to convey that name of Christ Jesus and to propagate his gospel over all the world. Beloved, you are actors upon the same stage too. The uttermost parts of the earth are your scene. Act over the acts of the apostles apostles, and be ye a light unto the Gentiles. I love what he says in 1622. It's like, what, what's it? It's now 2022. Um, it's 400 years later and that same statement is being proclaimed here today. The same statement that has been proclaimed for 2,000 years that we are to act over the acts of the apostle. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit, and as some of you know, I'm a bit of a dramatist, not a drama queen. I'm a drama king, Um, a bit of a, a, a dramatist. And so I love Luke and the book of Acts because they actually are, well, we'll come to it in a second. But, we are, but you, we're going to go this drama route. So just hang, 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 on, hang on with me. Josh has already checked his watching. He's not even in the message yet, and five minutes has passed. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so it's for this reason, this, this Jesus Christ, this gospel to the ends of the earth, it is for this reason and to the same stage that different people have been called as actors to each play their part to the best of their ability and to the glory of God. And the invitation of the Spirit is to you and I to do our part here and now. When you look at the book of Luke, 
and you look at the book of Acts. Um, this, there's this thought that Luke engages in theodrama, and I'll kind of keep it, keep it simple here. Theodrama. Theo, Greek for God, and drama comes from the root word drao, meaning drama. Drao meaning I do. Literally, theodrama is what God is doing. And so when you read the book of Luke Acts as an entirety, as, 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 a, as one, one story, one account given to Theophilus about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit and the church, we actually understand what Luke is trying to do is to tell us what God is doing. We need to look, what is, what is God doing here? That's theodrama, and, and, and this whole concept of us being a part of what God is doing. What's he doing in his church? A guy by the names of James K.A. Smith uses drama language in reviewing and, cre- and creational hermeneutic when he describes it as performing scripture as, a, as part of an expansive drama and an understanding of ecclesiology. N.T. Wright says, community formation, which we hold dear to here at Cornerstone, is a five-act play where act one is all the story about creation, act two is about the fall, act three is about Israel, act four is about the gospel, and act five begins immediately after the gospels, starts in the book of Acts, and we're still living in act act five today. This fifth act, the only help we have in playing it out is what comes from the first four acts, and it alludes to the nature and mission of the narrative. This fifth act needs to continue the narrative without repeating the previous acts. Before we even get into understanding Luke 2, uh, Acts 2 and what's happening there, we need to understand what is going on. Luke is saying, hey, do you get what God is doing? Do you get what God has done? And do you understand what you need to do now? You cannot go back and relive that and do that again, what you have to do has got to be outworked in the here now. And that is why we need the Spirit, to actually be able to do that. The the church is constantly finding itself in new situations, and we cannot simply react the script from the past, but it must be to to wrestle and find the wisdom in the past and bring it into the present and act anew. It is about bringing biblical Christianity to life. And we have Acts 2 as the pivot point that helps us shift to be able to live that fifth act here now as actors all on the same stage. When we're talking about acting and drama, I know some people's minds go straight to, oh, well, it's a, it's a story. See, this story is different. This is the greatest story ever written. This is the greatest story ever told, the story of Jesus, God's love for us, his redemption for humanity, all humanity, as Sharon Sharon was speaking. I'm going, if she says one more scripture, then that's that. I don't have to preach. She's actually just done everything. (laughs) But it is the greatest story ever written. And we need to understand, I understand it's Pentecost and you're waiting for me to get into the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and, and to start talking about what happened, happened in Acts 2. But without understanding what precedes it, without understanding what it's about, without understanding our part in it, and that God is still at work, then the Holy Spirit just becomes like another icon in an, or another image in a painting, in a picture, or somewhere that is there and not ever present here right now. It's about what we got when we got 
got saved and not worry about what we need to actually see other people saved. When we, when, we, when we talk about this, there's another biblical scholar by the name of Neely, and he uses this theodrama concept, and he actually says that we have to think about it as improvisation. The Bible gives us something of a drama, a story set in history with protagonists, antagonists, leading characters, with twists and turns and plots, and all of us on a stage called creation. And of course, there's a savior who takes center stage to conquer death and evil in the offer of his own blood. God is the author of this, his story, and he has orchestrated this drama in history, the drama we now participate in every day of our lives. We're now called to improvise. If you've ever, who's ever done acting? Or at least drama class at high school? Yeah, and you understand what improv improvisation is? It's kind of like in the moment being given a scene and then having to act out the scene. So we're going to do that for one minute just so that I can make sure. So I'm going to give you a scene. Just turn to the person next to you. And, the, and you're, you are, one of you is a Jew in Jerusalem just after the crucifixion of Jesus. And you fear your life. The other person is actually a Roman soldier or just one of those those, those real Jews, you know, the, the, the ones who don't follow the sect called Jesus or the way. Now, pick who you are. And I want you to have a conversation where the person who is not the Christian or the, the follower of the way is the protagonist or antagonist and actually starts to give the other person some, some lip around this guy called Jesus. And I want the other person to respond. So go for it. You've got 30 seconds, 60 seconds. So go have it. And please, this is not a chance to have a conversation about coffee. <laughs> All right, time's up. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so, so improvisation. We kind of have some fun for some people. For the introverts, I apologize. I should have warned you in advance. So all the introverts were just put out. All the extroverts went, thank you, Jesus. He's going to give us the mic for a second. Uh, and the introvert said, no, please don't make me do that. I'm going to the bathroom right now. <laughs> but we kind of get the idea of improvisation. And, and what I'm trying to do is have us understand what, what scholars, what the scripture, what Luke are all trying to do is to show us how we're invited in to a story. We're invited to participate in and be ready. Now, I don't know about you. Improvisation is easy when it's on a topic like that. But when God puts me, when His Spirit bleeds me into a situation where I suddenly find myself out of my depth or beyond my knowledge, it is the Spirit at work within me that actually bails me out, helps me to actually be who I'm meant to be in that moment. The other thing we need to understand about Luke-Acts, and I've been talking about Luke-Acts. You go, why are you talking about Luke? We, we, this is the book of Acts, and it's what's happening there. Same guy wrote it, and there's actually a reason the same guy wrote it. There's a reason we have everything in the Bible. Those 66 books are not the other books that we read about. Is that it, Some people see it as a two-part account or, or as a continuation. I tend to lean towards Luke is part one and um, book of Acts is part two of the same story. Both start with dear Theophilus, 
Uh, um, so what Luke is doing is it's a continuation of the discipleship of this man and the group of people that he hangs out with. The Holy Spirit is actually the key theme through the book of Luke as well as in the book of Acts. So it's a continuation of the Holy Spirit playing a lead role. The Acts of the Holy Spirit versus the Acts of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Apostle. Quite often when you look at what's going on in the book of Acts, it's called, as uh, John Donne said in 1622, the Acts of the Apostle, but it's could actually have been retitled the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit at work and everybody else has been used by God. <coughs> the emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit and the expansion of the gospel is what's actually happening. So when you read Luke, Luke Acts as one story, as a part A and a part B, and you track this thought that the Holy Spirit is the most important person in all of this as it goes through, from the Gospels all the way through to the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, His ascension, and then through into what we have in Pentecost, and then the Gentiles in, in Acts chapter 10 to, to, through to 15, 15, the first council where the Gentiles are allowed to participate, and then all the way through to the end of Acts chapter 28. You actually start to understand this link, this Holy Spirit, and it's all about one thing, the expansion of the gospel. It's about, as, as I said, Sherilyn was stealing words one by one, scriptures one by one. It's that all people, it was about an inclusivity of the gospel, not an exclusivity to the Jews only, to the sect or to the people that were known as the way, the Jews at that time. Luke 3.16, it actually says, I baptize you in water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And that just keeps to go through, as I said, Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 11, Acts 15, Acts 28. Luke writes an accurate biography of the Holy Spirit through these two books. And he retains the stuff that he needs to so that we can understand what's going on. It is about the expansion of everybody and the gospel. Thank you, Sherilyn. She saved me two minutes on this slide. <coughs> the other thing we need to understand is the context at which Acts 2 is taking place. It's actually Shavuot. Pentecost. Shavuot's the Hebrew word. Pentecost is the Greek word. Pente meaning 50. And it's the festival of weeks. It was an agricultural pilgrimage festival. In other words, it's one of those times where people come to the temple and they bring. What I love is they bring the wheat harvest. And like we don't have too much time to go here. But the picture, if I was sitting in the room back then understanding the festival of um, <clears throat> weeks and I understood it was a harvest festival and it was the first fruits then my script my, my word goes by my mind goes straight to the scripture the fields are ripe with harvest they're white with harvest talking about the wheat that is ready the, when they did Shavuot in the in, in temp, old temple days they would bring two breads baked leavened breads this time not unleavened there's only two feasts that have leavened bread this was one of them to celebrate the first, the, the first fruit and the harvest. And so this celebration is what's happening. This is the context that Acts chapter 2 finds itself set in. So now we understand who Luke is, what he's doing, how he's writing, 
and who the main character is, is in his story. We also understand where these guys who are gathered find themselves in this context. When we read Acts chapter 2, one of the other things that scholars talk about, and, and I just want to touch on this for a moment, is that it actually mirrors the whole book of Exodus. Because what you have is in the beginning of Exodus, you have the liberation out of slavery and Egypt. And in Luke 1, John the Baptist talks about the knowledge of salvation. That salvation, that Jesus that is to come is to set them free. When you get kind of Luke 22, at the Last Supper, you reflect back into the book of Exodus. Uh, in Exodus 24, it's the confirmation of the covenant. God confirms that he made a promise to, to his people. And in Exodus 24, he reminds them and he, he, he re, re, uh, not redoes, not the right word. He re reaffirms. The covenant in Luke 22, when Jesus is doing the Last Supper, he actually talks about that is my body broken, my blood shed, and a new covenant. At the end of Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, the final chapter, the final piece in the Bible, in, in the Bible, that last paragraph actually says that God indwells his temple. What's happening here, or what's about to happen in the books of Acts, is God indwells his people god indwells the church god has indwelt the church all the way through but it's moved from a building where the cloud of presence was so thick moses could not even go in to here it's you and me and so when i approach it looking at the imagery looking at what those jews would have understood they would have gone hold on liberation Hold on, because they understood the book of Exodus and could have quoted it line by line. Liberation, covenant, temple inauguration. It's like God's presence filling the house. God's presence filling the church. God's presence filling you and me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came over the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit of God filled them. The glory of God filled them. Oh, that you and I would understand what happened that first Pentecost, that we would understand that the beginning of this fifth act that N.T. writes about is about temple inauguration, about the church being filled with the glory of God, the church being filled with the Spirit of God so that we can be the light. We can point to the light. We can be light and salt. So now let's get on to the unnecessary miracle. So, if you're going to stone me, soft stones, please. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them? in our native language. What's happening here in verse 5 is not the antith antith antithesis 
of the Tower of Babel. What's happening is Jews from all nations coming together. If you were there at the time, it would have smelt like, tasted like, sounded like, and felt like the restoration of the remnant, of everyone coming together. It's all about restoration and being restored. The Spirit poured out on everyone. See, see, here's the unnecessary miracle. As I was preparing and I was reading this, and maybe I just came to the party and you're all there already, and I was reading it, it actually says devout Jews from all around the place. And I went, hold on, they're devout Jews. They, were, they go to synagogue. At synagogue, at that time, they would have spoken Greek. Or if they'd read Aramaic, they would have all understood Aramaic or Greek. So why was the necessity there for these Jews to actually hear the gospel in their own language if they already could all speak? Greek and understand that because they worshipped in synagogue there's in their synagogues in Greek and I went what's the point of that Jesus that was an unnecessary it's a waste of a miracle sometimes when I drive in a car park and I say God I need a car park near the door my wife would say well that's an unnecessary miracle you'd rather pray for someone who needs healing than a car park you can walk <laughs> pray for someone who doesn't have legs too or, um, but it was like as you read this you have this thought this unnecessary miracle it, it looks like it's unnecessary and I refer to it as the necessary unnecessary miracle and you go what's going on what's happening here and it's this concept as I said I'll keep saying this I kept thinking Sherilyn if you don't keep quiet now I don't, I've got nothing left to say it's because the Spirit was poured out on all people. And what God was doing in that moment, in that necessary, unnecessary miracle, was saying to the Jews, hey, you're going to get this first because I promised it, but guess what? A couple of chapters later, Peter's going to have an encounter. It's the precursor to Acts 10. It's like the gospel, the Spirit of God is for everybody. Some of the scholars actually write about it being that inclusive when you read that, chat, that, that Bible verse out of Joel 2 that is quoted on all people, that it actually says not on all people in the original language it says on everything creation the individual and the community that everything will literally prophesy about God everything so what's happening over here this unnecessary miracle is God saying hey do you get it that the spirit is for you but not just for you for use in your church or just not just for you as a prayer language it's actually for you to be empowered to go out into the world it's for you to be empowered so that you can be salt and light that the church can actually be the church I'll just throw that away um In the last days, God says, and this is all quotes, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Uh, another one, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter replies in Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for all who are afar off, for all whom the Lord God calls. Who will be saved? Everybody. This gospel is not an, is not an exclusive gospel. And the spirit that you and I received, the spirit that they received in that first meeting when the tongues fell was not just for them, it was for everybody else. What now? 
when you read the end of Acts chapter 2 and you're reading verses 42 to 47, it says, and they continued steadfast in the apostle doctrine in the breaking of bread and fellowship and in prayer. Every one of those, what they did, empowered by the Holy Spirit. They understood this, what N.T. Wright calls Act 5 that they were living in. They understood what Van Hooser called theodrama. They understood what Neely calls the improvisation. They had not been here before. When you read the Acts, you can see Acts chapter 15, their first council, their first board meeting, for want of a better word. They don't know what to do with the situation at hand. But James stands up and says, it seemed right to the Holy Spirit and us. Scripture, community, and spirit operating in that moment, improvising so that God would get glory and the church would be advanced, empowered people. We need to grasp what happened then. We need to understand what happened then. We need to grasp what's happening now and the relevance now. If I could have the band up, please. That is the necessary miracle and my, our prayer is that the necessary miracle from then is not needed now, but that we will learn to improvise in the fifth act of the big story of what happened then and what is available to us now. That being empowered by being filled with the Holy Spirit, we would actively participate with community and in community to fulfill the Great Commission and living a life of faith. The book of Acts ends unfinished. You kind of read it and then you've got this weird conversation at the end of Acts 28 and this weird prophetic word. And you're almost left going, can someone, I don't know, have you ever watched a movie and it gets to the end of the movie and they end the story but you know there's so much more, especially if you're like me. I, the tension of those watching those real-life stories is too much, so I'll Google ahead and see the end so I can enjoy the story. But then you find that the movie actually ends at a part which seems nice, or the movie ends and it leaves you. You're going, what happened? Where's the black, the black screen with the white words that tells me now this person lives there and this person lives there? You see, the book of Acts ends unfinished. Because, as John Dunn said in 1622, as Dwayne Van Vuren says here today, we each still are playing our part. But we can't do it alone. And we need to do it in partnership and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is how we ought to live now. And it's not so that we can be cool here inside this building it's that we can be empowered and brave and bold out there in the wider community being empowered by the holy spirit yes is for me but the benefit is for others so when we come to pentecost today i'm a certified happy clappy like seriously i'll roll on the ground if you want me to roll on the ground I'll holler, I'll raise my hands, 
I'm certified, like I have badge wearing, carrying, happy clappy, full out Pentecostal. But I understand this. It's not for me. It's for others. It's for you. It's for them. And it's for those afar off. So as a church, understanding this temple inauguration that happened back then, we do not need to be inaugurated as the church. We've been inaugurated for 2022 years. But in our inauguration that his spirit fills us, fills us as individuals, fills the church. What are we doing with that? We are empowered to be a witness of the gospel. We are empowered to proclaim good news, freedom, healing and favor in the name of the Lord. We're empowered by His Spirit from that first moment to make disciples of every nation. We're empowered to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, that unnecessary miracle was necessary. They needed to see that they were being empowered for beyond them. We're the benefactors of that revelation. My prayer is that others would be the benefactors of us living out that revelation. I'm going to close. And we're going to do a song. And I want to open up, up here as we sometimes do. Well, it's always open. And I want to encourage you. We started singing. We need a fresh wind. There's a lot of improvisation needed in our world today. There is division, there is wars, there's fighting, there's stuff going on. Holy Spirit, help us afresh. Empower us afresh. If you want a fresh touch, as we sing the song, I just want to invite you to come forward and say, hey God, Holy Spirit, Pour out. God, pour out your spirit on me again. Holy Spirit, more, more, more of you. If you don't know what it looks like, just watch Christine. Sorry to pick on you. Just watch Christine if you want to know what it looks like. But each of us are different. Christine's cool to just be emotion out on her sleeve. But come out. I'm a firm believer. Sometimes sitting back here, I know God does things there. God taught me a lesson a long time ago. But come out. And people will pray with you. The elders of the, elders of the church have been prepared to pray with you and to pray for a fresh infilling of God's Holy Spirit. And if you go, hey, Dwayne, I thought it was all about speaking in tongues. Well, that's a part private language for you to talk to God about. I pray in tongues and I... I, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. It encourages me. And you go, well, I, I, I'd like to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Filled. Then I'll, I'll stand that side over there or one of the elders will be here. We'd love to pray with you. That you would be empowered to be salt and light. 
but at the same time that you would be infilled with, that, with the Spirit of God and with a prayer language that encourages you. That peace is for you. Everything else is for them. So I want to open up the altar right now. Don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. You've heard me say this before. If you're scared to come out because someone's going to wonder what you're doing, well, they should come out with you. Tap them on the shoulder and bring them with you. We'll pray for them for healing.